Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grader, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. Everybody to the blackout. This is episode 22 of season one. Junior, listen, yesterday, Junior, not you, but Luis Robert Jr. gave us the go ahead, you know, home run in the seventh. Sox went at five to three. And then in today's game, you've got Mike Clevenger going seven, pitching an absolute gem. And then, um, yeah, we had bases loaded, no outs. And surely, um, you know, we squander that opportunity. Why would you start start the show with the typical White Sox talking about what happened yesterday? Storyline is White Sox got walked off once again and lose the cup. Let's just put the synopsis out of this. Great game by Clevenger. I'm going to throw this out there right now. I've I've been reading. Again, everyone knows that I'm on Twitter a lot. The cesspool has how it's been called. Uh, everyone's upset on how the Cubs celebrated the walk-off home run from the fan base that celebrated a game in Iowa. Like if it was a, a home run in a game seven, seven of a World Series from the fan base where they retweeted the Lewis Robert uh, sign to the Cubs fans telling them to be quiet after a home run. That fan base is telling the Cubs fans that they're over celebrating in the middle of a pennant race where they just walked off the division, uh, the city rivals and are still in the pennant race and just won this game by a home run by Nick Madrigal. Uh, and then Moret, like, why don't they, they should celebrate this. It's a great home run. The lucky that the guy didn't take his shirt off completely at Wrigley field is going to be one of the greatest home runs ever. This fan base is sometimes just as tiring as the team. The, the fan base cries like the players do on the field sometimes. Take your whooping. You just lost. Let them celebrate. Your manager didn't care about the series. Your players didn't care about the series. But now you're upset that the meaningless cup, that you lost the meaningless cup. Guess what? The cup is not meaningless. So if you're a White Sox fan and you're a Cubs fan, there's a rivalry. You always want to win that. And this was like the only sliver of hope that White Sox fans should have had uh, of them actually winning something. So Morel had a home run. Terry Peeps is completely right. Had an amazing home run to celebrate. Stop being a baby and take your loss and let the Cus fans celebrate and enjoy it. You just got whooped. He just told you, you had bases loaded. You had Eloy who sat the game. 
because he's hurt in some part of his body again. And it is, it, there's no bigger game, guys, than that this game that happened. So I don't want to hit. I don't want to hear Pedro Griffol talk about. There's a big game coming up in a series when they play Cleveland or whoever down the line. More than bigger than this game. This game was probably the biggest game because there was a cup, there was something to win. At least city pride, uh, and you had played really well against the Cubs, and then you wasted a seven inning, three three hits, I believe, from Mike Clevenger. What this yeah. point could be the one of the best pitchers and best pickup of this season, a guy that in spring training, everyone was asking for him to get released uh, on, on, on false accusations at this point, uh, according to major league baseball. So a, a very hard series, again, a lot more of what, what we experience. There, there have been flashes of greatness. I'm sure tomorrow, no one's going to want Santos to close again. Guess what? It's part of the job uh, description. Um, when you're a, a future closer that you are going to blow games, but like Chris said earlier, Chris, you said they had bases loaded, not producing productive outs. They once again lose an opportunity to uh, to score runs. And again, yesterday it happened too. Bases loaded first inning and Moncada, our guy, my guy, grounded out to, to a potential double play, which he ran out, which got one run, but could have eventually would have been more helpful had they scored more runs in that inning. So again, just another typical White Sox situation, another typical White Sox loss of this season. Yeah, no, and Mankata's had a hot week, too. So I, he had three different opportunities in tonight's game to produce a run and squandered it. Um, I can't really, even with that base of low situation, it wasn't just him. You had Robert behind him and then Vaughn behind him. So your three best producers in that lineup couldn't. They were all swinging for the fences and put, you know, then put their ego aside to get a productive out to at least get one run out of that situation. Um, and quite frankly, we don't deserve to win that game if we squandered that opportunity. Um, so at the end of the day, like we got beat and that's a team at this moment in the Cubs that are better than us. And that is crazy to say in this fictitious window that Han told us that the Cubs are just walking right by us. Um, hey, good for the Cubs. They're in a race right now for their division and that terrible. And they're going to win it. I think they're going to win the division. I think they'll take the division. I don't care how bad the division is. I really think the Cubs are going to take it. There's something about that team. They play ball really well. Uh, being around there yesterday about batting practice and kind of seeing the mojo of the guys, uh, the Cubs have a little pep in their step uh, that the White Sox, again, are lacking. It was nice seeing the guys. And it's funny because you're supposed to get this world of like, this new and improved White Sox version. I didn't see anything different in their stretch in the way they took BP. Uh, the only difference was that Eloy was wearing a, a football jersey that was a giveaway a couple of days ago. That was the only thing that I saw different uh, from like how they prepare themselves because um, I hadn't been around BP um, on, on the road yet. And against the Cubs is considered the road, but it was very surprising. But it was great seeing that, you know, being on the field and and kind of seeing both teams. Again, the, the energy wasn't the same. I think the Cubs energy was a lot higher on winning the Cup uh, they had it on the field on the Cubs side. Uh, and then the comments that were made, again, from the from the White Sox side, it was like, ah, it's just another game. Everyone tells themselves that, tells themselves that it's not just another game. I think that both teams really want to win this more for the Cubs because obviously they're in a pennant race from the White Sox side. This was a sense of, of savoring something, winning something. And I like to compare it in soccer for those soccer fans. Like when you're a Madrid fan, you're like, oh, yeah, the, the Copa del Rey, the, 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 the Kings Cup is not a big deal because you're obviously – playing for the league and the champions. But when you win it, it feels good or you have an opportunity to win it. That's a situation here. You had a chance to keep the cup in, in the South side of Chicago. 
uh, beat a team that is, again, competing for the playoffs and, and have bragging rights in the city, but they they they, uh, they let it go. And it came in a way of a walk-off, and you'll, we'll be seeing that replay for a while uh, in Chicago, uh, and rightfully so. Um, after a very exciting game in the first game of the series, this game obviously slips away from their hands. And I always say this, when your pitching staff gives you that good of a start, you have to win that game. Uh, seven innings, no runs. It, that's You have to. You have a three-run lead. You have to protect the three-run lead. And that's where I think, and people are going to hate me because I want a sperm race from the guy behind me, but I'm just talking pure baseball. You cannot protect the three-run lead uh, this uh, this advanced in your first year as a manager. Um, you, you're going to have to take up – you're going to take, take some criticism. Um, and, again, bummer once again. And then it went bummer, and then it went to Santos. Obviously, Santos is going to get the worst of it. But it was bummer again. Uh, a player that we've I, we've asked ourselves many of times, why is he still here? You, a guy that you could have moved for valuable pieces for the future, um, because that's what we're doing now. We're looking at the future. We're looking at Double A, Single A uh, guys and what they're doing. Just because we know this roster is going to look very different. Uh, and Mike Clevenger is, is pushing to be a, a starter next year, uh, which on my on my list I have him as a starter. And, and you try to see those small wins. Tuki pitched well the, the night before. Uh, but you're trying to find the wins where they're at. I was disappointed. No Eloy in the lineup today again because of some injuries. So it's, again, this this uh, changes like the weather. One day it's the most important game in the year. And then the next day it's just another game against the Cubs. So just mixed feelings again up, up and down. And I'm very excited for our, our, our guests later on the show because they are part of – he is a part of like this world of Twitter where we have that we've been called the cesspool. And I say we because I am a part of White Sox Twitter, constantly sharing um, either if I'm in the, in the in the show's account or I'm in my personal account. Um, but it was it, again, I'm, I'm disappointed on this loss. I wish that they would have kept the cup uh, just it would have saved something. It would have been great just because when we're like, man, we're eating breakfast. People come up and like, oh, the Cubs just beat the White Sox, even though we haven't had any affiliation to the team in whatsoever. Or, or we love Ozzy, but we're Cubs fans. It's just the most tiring thing ever. If you win the cup, at least you have. You know, they can't use that against you when you come say hi. Uh, but that was not the case. So I just know this. Back in the day, in the 2000s, we would not be eating out for a while because there was a rule. If you lost to the Cubs in a series, we weren't allowed to go eat at restaurants or whatnot or make be, be out in the public because because the old man was embarrassed. So a lot of ordering pizzas pizzas into the house or mom cooking. Yeah, you know, Junior, I mean, you hit on the head there with Grafal, and he did come out in this post game and say that we just lost the biggest game of the season. Um, but let's go to Blackout Live and let's talk about Grafal. Um, and let's bring in this OG of the cesspool on White Sox Twitter. This is Blackout Live. <laughs> folks this is the og of the cesspool from the 108 this is beef loaf beef loaf um before we get into some good topics for this segment um i want to get hear your thoughts from the stands from your own section everything that you've just heard us talk in the past 10 minutes about this white Sox. what's your thoughts on what you heard so far yeah well uh chris and ozzy thanks for having me on i mean i agree 100 percent with ozzy like it's 
in a lost season like this, this is the only thing we have to hold on to is be, uh, potentially being the Cubs. And they whipped us good twice at home, and I was at both of those games. And now here's our chance to get back. And Luis hits a big home run uh, last night, and we think we got a shot. And it's 3 nothing after uh, seven innings. Clevenger pitched his ass off. I mean, Clevenger, I don't know what happened to him, but he 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 threw a ball 98 in this game. Like, he hasn't been touching that. Like, so I don't know if he's just healthier than he's normally been or whatever. So you kind of got uh, the performances you're looking for, but you outlined it, Chris. They failed with the bases loaded and nobody out opportunity. You know, you had, you had Luis, you had Andrew, and you had Moncada all go down. Uh, as he brought it up, Aaron, Aaron Bomber gave up the home run in the basket to Nick Madrigal. And Madrigal was pimping that home run all the way around the bases. It's like, all right, now this thing, yeah, exactly. Now this shit is back on. And I was sad that uh, that Santos ended up wearing it because he's been so good the whole year. But that happens. You know, the, you can't you can't go into the year and, like, the guy's going to be perfect every time out there. Sometimes these bl- relievers get blown up. And it's very disappointing. I I, I liked your, your thoughts, Ozzy, like, we have to take this, right? We were gloating last night. Well, we were on the internet, and then everyone's making memes, and we're bombing the Cubs fans, and we're giving them shit. Now they're giving it back to us. We just got to take it. That's, you know, that's it. No, that's, yeah. the, that's the reality of it. Uh, and again, you guys have been, again, you, you, you see this sliver of hope, and, and that's what I'm talking about. When they, they keep talking about culture, okay? And I'm going to use the 108 as an example, where when the 108 started, Beef Loaf and his crew did not stand up and say, this is what we want our culture to be. It just happened <laughs> by people being there and having the experience. And that's how everything works in life. Ozzy Gian's team, Ozzy did not have a meeting and say, you're the leader. This is the culture. It, it just starts happening. And, and this team seems to be the team where they want to market everything of like, this is the leader. This is our culture. And then you see glimpse of hopes with like a home run like Robert on one day and the team being like, wow, this is what potentially what it could be like in the future. And then right the next day in the same series, you see the complete opposite of what that could be. And that's, that's where you can, even when you're winning, you're learning and building culture. And even when you're losing, you're winning and and making culture. And they're not doing, they're not doing that. They're just winning and losing games and not building for the future. So I know that Pedro Griffol is not Ozzy Guillen. He's not Rick Renteria. He's not Tony La Russa. We know that. But who are you? Who is this team? That's what I need. I, I know who Beat Loaf is from the 108. I know what the cesspool is on Twitter. People know who the Guillen family is. Like, we know everyone knows each other. They know themselves pretty well. But this yeah. White Fox team, we don't know who they are from the front office. Okay. We don't know who they are from the manager standpoint. We don't know who they are as a player. So their identity is still up there. And it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up uh, Grafal because right after the initial press conference, Oz, uh, I watched it. I almost never watch anything that Rickon speaks in because he just never tells me anything. But because this, he was, I knew he was going to be excited. He had a new manager. This was back in November. And I watched it and I, I paid close attention to Grafal. I even went and found a few interviews of Grafal. And I wrote a blog right afterwards. While the media was throwing bouquets at him, I couldn't discern anything about this guy like he couldn't like he named Fleetwood Mac as his favorite band but he couldn't name a fucking song that Fleetwood Mac sings like he he was personality from that standpoint so it was like okay how's he gonna work with the media really when when this gets tough when they have to wear it for a while what's it what personality is gonna come out and then like he was he was put up there as like this guy knows modern baseball so I tried to listen hard for that I don't think I heard any of that in the, in the beginning press conference so I think okay well everything is gonna be put on the fact that uh, we're going to have to watch how the team plays. And sure enough, they come out in April, shit all over themselves with 10 losses in a row. And it's like, 
I'm not sure what the guy is. Like, I have not been sure the entire time. I haven't found out anything about him. And even when things were like, I, I remember there was a, uh, someone asked him a question when they were in Seattle about hitting Jake Berger eighth. And he was like dismissive about it. Like, you know, whatever. It's like, you don't have the skins on the wall. The last manager had the skins on the wall to tell the media F off when I, I want to put a guy where I want. This team stinks. You should answer the question for the one guy who's hitting home runs. Why is he hitting eighth? And I just, I haven't really got, I can't get a grasp of Pedro at this point. I just not, not I haven't been a fan yet. I'm not, I'm not blowing him out yet, but I just like, I got nothing here. I can't, I can't grab onto anything as a fan and be like, oh, okay, there's, there's something I see that I really like. Well, this is his team. And the part, I think that the best move that he did was when he, when he took out Pantera out of the game and he said, you're not running. And then he doubled down, doubled back and said, oh, well, well, well you, uh, his legs were hurt. And you're like, whoa, 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 we know his legs were not hurt. Like, no, what you're doing is good. And, and I'm going to be honest. I did not think that his X's and O's was going to be as, as, as bad as it has been, because I thought that he, from what I heard that he knew baseball, but when mm-hmm. he was being sold as this analytical guy, and then he's not doing analytical things, you're like, okay, well, he's not, he, you're not doing that. And when he's being dismissive, like when Tony was dismissive, as a Hall of Fame manager, like he's earned that <laughs> yes. right to do that. He's when, done everything. He can he can be dismissive to you, and you just got to take it. It's because it's me, and it's Tony, and and, and Ozzy's done that before, uh, where, where you get to do that because you you think you've had the credibility to do that. Um, but even like when he, the question he was asked about about the Cubs Stadium, and he was talking like he had been to the stadium yesterday seven hundred times, and I'm like, this guy's only been here once or twice. Like I've been on the bench more as a bad boy than he has been in the big league. So it, it, there's no genuine like truth to what he's doing. Difference from Ethan Katz, you, you you never see him talk about himself that he's this genius. Everyone else talks about him, but yet you've never seen him talk about in, in an interview talking about what he actually does with pitchers. You've never seen him like give himself praises. He, he doesn't kind of like hide from it. So it's not Ethan that's promoting this, but in Pedro, it's him and the team really promoted this. And I think they shot themselves in the foot when they said. You know, we're going to go to war and we're going to beat you up and we're going to do this. And you're like, wait a minute, you were just managing Kansas City. You were not kicking anybody's ass. Right. So that's the part where for the future and now for the future, I think it's even more important now that he knows who he is, because now you're really molding the future. You're molding Pantera, who's going to be your guy. You're molding Andrew Vaughn, who's going to be your guy. You're molding players for the C's that are going to potentially be under you for the next three years. And I'm like, is this getting molded the correct way? Away from wins and losses. I'm talking about the correct way of molding a team into the future. If Because if Pedro's not the guy they're doing it, I'm sorry, and I'm, and I'm not for firing a manager again. They need to get rid of him and be like, next guy in. Because the next three years are going to set you up for the future of at least being competitive enough with the foundation and not end up having a, a situation where you don't make the playoffs in 12, 15 years. That, that, then that's that's now economics, losing fans. So this Pedro Grifol season, and this is last second half, is where I want to see that growth, which I've not seen yet. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because on my uh, my notes, I actually put no leaders as the first thing to talk about. I like how we jumped right into it. Um, now, Junior, let's, even this Crosstown series – Winning covers a lot of awards. We see this Cubs team, and I don't really look at that team and see an outspoken leader right now on, on that side. Um, but, again, when you look at our club, we see a vocal leader at all either. 
but we don't even have a coach like Terry saying here, you know, that is a leader, but at the same time, your club needs to be executing and doing the talking. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a difference between your vocal leaders and your, you know, le leaders that show it by example on the field. Um, but even with that um, quote that we had from this, um, from Grafal, he was talking about Luis Robert and he doesn't, Robert doesn't necessarily have to be that vocal leader. I mean, he's doing it with the bat right now with producing on the field. Um, but at some point, at the end of the day, when, when it comes down to your, your manager, this has been Rick Hahn's selection with her fall. And I'm kind of leaning with you right now. Like as much as I don't want to see a guy like Pedro fired, which again, this is his rookie season. There's going to be a lot of learning curve to him. I don't want to see him fired, but at the same time with how things have gone up to this point, you, you have to wipe it, wipe it and start fresh. What is it, what is it called? You have to flush clean. It? Yeah. Flush, flush it. it. Clean yeah. The whole <laughs> I wish, and me and Beefliff were kind of talking about this before in the in the in the studio that was it going to take for Jerry um, to make a decision because you've had this guy in Rick Hahn for ten years and he doesn't have a winning record and when are you going to put a, your stamp on him like you you loyal for so long not only just him but for others in your front office that when are you going to make a decision because you're really hurting yourself and shooting yourself in the foot. If you're going to go and really truly say in 2024, we're going to contend, which I feel like you can, if you have a competent GM, but that's not Rick Hahn. So when are we going to make that decision? And it's well, just frustrating because we know where this is going and we're just at the end of the day, if Jerry is just all he cares about is business right now, well, his business is hurting them because I know the fans are still going there at this moment, but that's not going to last here. Well, not at the sure if you, you want to. Yeah. Like, I think I saw something on Facebook that he's lost like 53 million. I forgot if it was in revenue, but over the last two years, but at some point or another, that business is going to hit him and he better make a decision because all these decisions that have led up to this point has really hurt you financially. So when are you going to make that the word cesspool, and I would say that that whole section is probably some type of season ticket holders, and they're on Twitter. You lose that section, you, you pretty much lose a, a, a whole chunk of the outfield. So when it comes to that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to a guy that I, I've come out and said that I might have prejudged too early in his firing because he was really developing himself, and in looking back, he had never really been in a pennant race. And maybe he panicked a little bit during that pennant race. And we all thought that he was not ready for the, the limelight of a pennant race. But then that's what a pennant race does. And that was in Rick Renteria. Because here's the other part. Pedro Grafal is developing as a manager. That's fine. But then developing as a manager in a winning race and developing in that level of pressure, that's a huge difference between guys that have played at the big league level and guys that have not. Ozzie Guillen had a shorter learning curve because why? Well, he played in pennant races throughout, so he knew that experience of what's the clubhouse like, what's the media like, what's the pressure like, how am I going to act? So as a manager and as a coach, he already had that experience, okay? Rick Renteria might have not had it. So when we saw him managing down the pennant race, he made a couple moves that were kind of like, ah, oh, that, that wasn't very smart, but he did it. And you see guys like Dusty Baker did it in the playoff series. You know, Dusty changed a batter in the middle of like a pitcher in the middle of like an at-bat. The playoffs get to you and it happens. 
So Pedro's going to have to grow in that way. So like when they're ready to win, he's going to have to mature also like in the playoff experiencing. So, so his learning curve is like really, really big to where they need to be at for, from a winning standpoint. He's made comments. The part that concerns me is he's made comments where you, you look back and you say, okay, what do you mean by that? I'm not going to sacrifice wins for the development of players. I was going to say, let's, let's hit that. Well, I'm saying that you have to develop players because you're not winning right now. And when you're looking at your roster, there are certain positions where guys are not going to return and you don't have to be a big league general manager or a big league manager to know that there's certain people on this team that are not going to be back next year because of how much money they make and where they're at in the age in their career. So guess what? You have to develop someone for that position unless you magically have a signing of a contract and a closed deal with someone in that position that we don't know about. And that's fine. Okay, we don't have to develop a catcher because you're big in Salvador. Okay, that's great. We still have to have three pitching positions of we don't know who the stars are going to be next year, a second baseman. So that comment to me was like, okay, that went completely over my head. And that's where those comments, that's very concerning because you look back and say, okay, where is he at mentally when he's trying to make this team better? And, oh, we're going to be fundamentally sound and we're going to do this every day. Okay, that's great. What are you doing? Then comes a player and says, oh, there's no rules. You don't have to be. You don't have to be in practice. That's where that's where you start saying, okay, what's concerning? The part with Jerry and when he's going to let, let guys go, you know what, man? I understand his loyalty to Kenny. got him a World Series. The Rick situation, I, I don't know. Uh, they're letting him kind of go with it. Uh, to this point, we don't know what comes into the future. I think that he is in a situation right now where this is his managers, so the excuses are done. I think that when he had Tony, it was always like, well, that's not my guy. I never wanted him. And you kind of had that to protect yourself. Now it's, uh, well, you picked your guy, you picked your whole coaching staff. You've pretty much been giving everything that you've had. So why are you not producing? That's where that conversation is going to happen. But going back to that part, you're talking about leadership. I'm going to be honest, man. I think that the media in Chicago for asking Pantera that question, they kind of screwed him over on that one because people think that Latino players are not a leader because of a language barrier. And it's BS. Pantera's not a leader in Spanish. I've been around him 20 times. Very quiet guy. Okay. I, Jose Abreu, I could have told you within 10 minutes of meeting him that this is not a guy that leads by standing up on the top step and saying something. He leads by example. But then you got a guy like Ozzy Guillen, for example, where we make fun of him, or Juan Uribe, for that matter, that spoke very little English. Juan spoke none. But he's going and visiting the pitching mound when Mark Burley's in the middle of a game. Or Ozzy Guillen is visiting Tom Seaver. Those are just things that come with you naturally. Juan Uribe, believe it or not, was one of the leaders in the Chicago White Sox. Okay? Could not read, could not write in English, but he was one of the leaders. But the media wouldn't tell you that because he didn't give good quotes. Because they never interviewed him. Because he wouldn't give you a good quote in Spanish or in English, but he was a good leader. Because on the field, he would get guys pumped up. Carl Everett, Jermaine Dye. Everyone thinks that the White Sox leader was PK because, you know, he was the main, the best player. And, he, and Ozzie made him the leader because he said, I'm going to make you the captain so I can make you more vocal and feel like you have to say more because he wanted that to come out of him. But leaders don't come from the guy being the best player or the guy giving the best quote after the game. This quote thing of like, do you want that? Just put a spokesperson. Say, hey, we just hired this person. He's a spokesperson for the team. He will talk about team feelings and team morale, and he's a spokesperson. That doesn't mean that's the leader. And you know what the worst thing is for a clubhouse? Guys being told who the leader is, and they don't agree with that. A manager saying, hey, this guy's the leader, and players being like, no, he's not. 
that it, it becomes a confrontation. Just like when you're at work and someone says, hey, Johnny's the leader and everyone thinks Johnny's an asshole and everyone's like, we don't like Johnny. Leaders are made, okay? Leaders emerge themselves from any type of group, a biker club, a, a, a book club, a fan base club from the 108. No one voted and said, we're going to make so-and-so the leader. They just emerge. And the White Sox, I don't know why in the media, they want this leader. It doesn't have to be a first person. You look at Willie Harris, okay? I'm look, I'm in the, I'm watching batting practice, okay? And I see Willie Harris, the way that he is interacting with players, genuinely interacting with players. He's joking around. He's talking. He's hitting them fly balls. He's doing the little things that he's essentially not eye-washing and saying, hey, we're going to sit here and give you little drills. He's literally connecting with them. Okay, Daryl Boston's probably one of the coaches that connects the best with the players. And I see that when I watch the game, how he's interacting with them in the dugout. Okay, I don't see the, 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 the players and the manager and them going and talking to the players like, you know, like, uh, like some coaches do in, in that interaction. That's leadership. Can, can your players go out and play for you? I, I believe that coaches are in the big leagues. I rate them as like, are the players willing to go out there and fight for you? If the, if the starting staff likes Ethan Katz, you keep Ethan Katz as a pitching coach because – He's doing a good job and guys go fight for him. But if there's no connection, so when Pantera's like, oh, I don't know my bench coach's name. I'm like, number one, he's Hispanic, Pantera. Okay, so you guys not talked. That's where the leadership lacks. And if the, if you don't have a leader in the clubhouse, okay, like a Juan Uribe or a player that does that, then your job as the manager, even if you don't want to be that guy, you need to be the top step guy and do it for real. Not say it on, I'm going through the motions and be Joe Cool. You have to take that role till somebody comes in it. You know who was a perfect leader that was developing himself into being a leader from what everyone's been telling me? A kid named Jake Berger. Okay? I've heard Sheets is another guy. Because a leader has to be a guy who calls guys out, gets along with guys, kind of mediates everything. But it's not going to be a best player. So Tim Anderson, we don't know if he was a leader. The media told us that. We, we didn't know that. The media said and the fans said, oh, yeah, he's a leader. Now we want to make Pantera the leader. So we're like, oh, the best player has to be the leader. No, it does not. We need to let that happen organically and let that develop. That's what I want. And I think Beef's watched the White Sox way longer than I have. And I think in every era. I'm not that old, all right? I'm not that old. <laughs> I, was, I, I left for the 2000s, but I feel like leadership is is when you think about the Magler Donias and Carlos Lee, they were good players, but I don't think they had like a leader. The leaders were never the guys that were the obvious choice. And I agree. I, this whole leadership thing, I think, is overplayed, to be honest with you. I agree. I, I really like I, everything you said, uh, as I really like. The one thing you brought up that is uh, interesting, too, is you can't just tell everyone who the leader is, and that happens in the workplace as well. And if you do do that, if you do say, this guy's the leader and you appoint the leader, everyone is going to consider that person a narc and they won't trust him. You know, they, they'll immediately say, I do not trust that person, and they're not going to, they won't listen to what the person says. You're right. It has to develop organically. I have thought the, the whole leadership thing is oversold, too. They're at a talent deficit. Let's get all the talent in here first, and then let's work out who, who's going to become the leaders. And that, that's why it was a good point about Berger, because uh, Chris and I were talking about it before we came on. I was shocked that they traded Jake Berger. Not that I didn't think the roster needs some realignment from a lot of guys that are similar and like, right-handed, slug only, not much uh, position flexibility. I was shocked it was that guy, though. I thought that was the guy who should stay because of the level of production, and now he's gotten past the injuries, so he's stayed healthy. So it was kind of bizarre to me that that he was the choice in that in that situation. It'd be for, since, you know, you being with the 108, you're there for a lot of home games. 
have you seen any of these players or these core players really stuck out on the field as far as their character goes with the other guys? Has anyone stood out to you? You know, not in particular. There's no one that that uh, it rings a bell. That's occasionally you'll see some players. You know, some of the outfielders chat a little bit if there's a miscommunication out there or something like that, or on a pop up or whatever. Uh, you, you know, but nothing that I've kind of noticed at surface level that some guy over another guy is is particularly a, a, a leader. I mean, I have noticed that uh, Luis Robert has gotten a little more, uh, we'll call it aggressive in taking over the outfield where I think he was very passive kind of early on. He seems like now feel that, okay, the outfield is my domain and then I'll, I'll let these guys get balls they can get to, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a little more control. But other than that, I, I there's no one in particular that I've noticed and we're at a lot of games and, and, and watching a lot of stuff. I mean, I notice stuff like, I feel like Andrew Benatendi never gets a good jump on a ball in left field. Like there, I noticed stuff like that, but I haven't noticed anything as far as the uh, leadership goes. Okay. Cause I think seeing, I know he's struggling with Andrew Vaughn in his first season at first base, but that's a guy who I was kind of hoping to come out of his comfort zone and start to really push these guys. Um, and the only good I've seen out of him, as far as like maybe their leader approach, is really picking up Timmy after that knockout and carrying him off the field. But um, I hope that's a guy – and that's like a blue-collar guy too. He's really true to himself, um, sticks to his work ethic. Like him and Berger, I thought those were those blue-collar guys that you want on this club with their work ethic really showing themselves. And it just sucks that you trade one of those guys away, um, which you just brought up, Beef. Um, but let me stick with you here, Beef. Um because let's go back to Pedro choosing wins over development. Isn't this a topic where, like, I know Junior and, you know, past shows we talked about, hey, this is a great spot for Han to be like, hey, I'm going to talk about the rebuild because it's going to give me a whole nother 10 years to go here. But if you're the hand selection of Grafal, wouldn't you take that topic of development and really run with that? Because that's what's going to guarantee you another you know, a handful of years to come is just talking development, but then just going after that whole win approach. It's like, like, how are, are you even saying that with your 20 games under 500, 20 plus, like what the hell are you looking at to even come into this approach and leading off with winning when you're just consecutively losing at this point? Um, Beef, what's your thoughts? Cause I know you just did a, a podcast about these prospects. So tell me, you know, this whole topic with development. <laughs> here. We actually did a prospect. We did a, a podcast about the old prospects that failed. So we, we pulled tweets from like the last rebuild and like Charlie, I, we dunked on poor guys. I feel bad that they're not in the majors anymore. Like Charlie, the Charlie Tilson's and Blake Rutherford's and just the excitement level everyone had. And just to calm every people, everyone else down about like the guys you just got, a lot of them aren't going to end up being much. Some of them will probably come through and be major leaguers, but you know, don't get too, uh, don't get your tires too pumped up. Let's just wait and see what happens with these guys as they get here. But that that comment that Pedro made, and you know, when you're going through it, Oz, I was thinking to myself when I saw it, I was less worried about what he thinks as far as um, uh, development versus wins because it's obvious you have to be developing people right now. Your team stinks. I, I was more worried that he didn't understand how to uh, pass the messaging through so that all of us could understand what the fuck he's talking about. He has to think development is important. I think what he meant to say was, of course it's important, but we're not going to give any games away. We're still going to play hard. We're still going to take this seriously, yada, yada, yada. But he framed it like a knucklehead, and then now everyone's jumping on like, this guy is a moron. He doesn't know what – and I think a lot of it's just communication. And it's hilarious because he was touted 
as a big communication guy. And more and more, every time I hear a quote, I feel like the communication level is just well, not there. You want to hear a funny story, Beef? And this is where, like you, I'm, I'm, I look at everything. And when you, and he seemed very too well polished to be up there. And and uh, go back and look at Ozzy's press conference. The guy that loves to talk the most about himself in the White Sox history, and look at his press conference. He he didn't say much, okay, because he's coming new to the job. It's very ironic when a manager does that. There was a scene where White Sox PR had him calling Eloy Jimenez, okay? And it's and it's basically played out like him and Eloy are best friends, okay? And in the middle of the conversation, because it's in Spanish, yeah. Eloy is like, send me your number. <laughs> Use your best friend. I would be asking for his number, okay? If you guys are so close. That's, yeah. that's, those are the, I was like, whoa, what are you, like, whoa. Uh, the, he is... You know, he's uh, Salvador Perez's dad. We texted Salvador. Oh, you got a new stepdad? Oh, no, you know, we closed, you know, like he was a coach. So, like, all these things, I feel like they've been completely worn out proportion of, like, he's going to be Moncada's, he's going to be a father fitter for Moncada. Like, Moncada's, like, fatherless. Like, Moncada talks to his dad every day. He just lives in Cuba. Like, so, so these these storylines, and and, and and it's funny because some things you believe so true. I watched the Johnny Menzel documentary and everyone from Skip Bayless to talking about this guy was a rich kid from an oil family. Like it's like when the media grabs a story and runs with it, you, you run with it. So you're thinking that Pedro is this guy yeah. and you're like, is he this guy? Because really quickly and the White Sox, they don't do a lot of things great, but PR and media, they're very good at and, and marketing and being able to get the team out there. So yeah. it became this machine where now I'm like, okay, we, we might be able to cut through that BS, but like, who are you as a skipper? Because when you're looking and making moves like that, I want, if this is going to be the development, are you going to be able to help build one of these leaders? So, again, who is the most vocal? Like today, a leader would have done this. And this is a part where I'm going to call out White Sox fans because White Sox fans will get upset about this because when Tony was trying to do it and Rick Renteria tried to do it, White Sox fans got sad or other players are trying to do it. I would have called out Eloy Jimenez if I was his teammate. Today, if I'm sitting in my locker – or like I've seen other people said at their lockers, Jermaine Dye, Carl Everett, Aaron Rowan, players that were very vocal, AJ Brzezinski, they would say, Eloy, how come you're not playing? What's wrong with you today? Oh, a little hangnail? And they would have kept, they would have bothered him so much that they would have gotten him on the field, okay? Yep. Or or, or there would have been some, some struggle, like, be, between them. That's what a leader does, that Eloy respects him enough to, like, not hate him, but feel enough to be pushed of like, why aren't you playing? Like just Bonnie Grandal might be in the lineup. He's like 150. Like you should be playing every day. Right. Um, and that was the part where I've always second guess. I'm like, cause I always said, man, these guys need to be motivated. Jose Abreu is in the lineup every day. And they've had him in the lineup for the last four years. So anyone on that team and I, and I'm, and I talked to him kind of like, how are you not motivated by seeing Abreu play? You look at Abreu change into a baseball uniform and you're like, he's hurting. He looks like he's hurting just because of the way his body makeup is. So as a young player, you have to be like, I want to play every day. So if they didn't learn that from Abreu and they haven't learned this from this guy, it's like, okay, is this now I'm looking at it as like, okay, do we have a problem where just like in 2004, there was a lot of talent, okay? But that talent couldn't put it together and you needed to break it up because it was such a, they were so close, but they were all yet so much the same that you needed to break them up and have other guys come in 
to kind of flourish the young guys like Pantera. That's what I feel like where we're at right now, where there's such great talent. Like Eloy might be go up and blow up and be an MVP. Moncada might blow up and be this guy, but they're not ever going to do with the White Sox where they really need to assess and say, hey, we need to blow this up because our core guys are not working. And Pedro's the guy that needs to deliver that message. My worry is that Pedro's going to tell him and say, oh, no, we're fine. You know, we're good. These guys are great. And that's he's try- he's trying to keep his first job. Ozzy. He's just trying He's just trying to keep his first job. No, and that's what I think is the status quo. And that's what's worrisome because, again, I can't hate Pedro for that because, you know, Pedro went from making $90,000, $100,000 to literally making that every month. Okay. Right, right, and that's right. when you're really assessing that is like, who is in there to be able to make that call and really look them down and say, okay, uh, you know, how can you, this, this person be the guy that says, Hey, break this up. We need to bring in fresh blood um, and, and go from there. That's where I want to see him go in that situation or if Charlie's helping him out. And today I don't think that he is genuine enough to say that. And I'm leaving towards uh, we're fine. We're just going to go run at it again. Right. I mean, you bring up a great point because the 2000s were great for that with the White Sox. You bring up 04. 2007 was also a tire fire. They turned over the roster. They're like, okay, we we can't. We had the the 05, 06 teams were good returning this over. 08, they win the division. 09, another down year. They flip out some pieces again. 2010's a good team. 12 was a good team. Like, they were nimble enough in the front office to realize, okay, we're going to do this. Or, Or in the manager's chair, too. Like, we. Need to, we need to change this over. We need to adjust some things here. They've stayed so board locked since they came up with this core right here. And there's been obvious, like, even if you even if you don't even think about the leadership part, Ozzy, there's been obvious positional stuff where it's like, we have a bunch of guys who are first baseman playing in the outfield. We have to unlock some of this roster here. Not all of this works well together. You 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 got the talent that got here, fine, but now start flipping it out, be a little more transactional and figure out what you need here. Well, B-Love, who's a, who, for you, I don't know how close you follow the minor leagues, but who's your future third baseman today? Because obviously they traded the guy that I thought was going to be the future third baseman. I mean, I guess it's probably Brian Ramos, or if, or maybe it's M- Montgomery if Montgomery can't stick at shortstop. But, yeah, it's yeah a good call. I mean, like, I, I thought the same thing when the, the Burger trade went. I was like, this is a – I wrote a blog about it recently, like how, how badly it could go wrong, because a lot of people on, on Twitter were like, they sold high on Jake Berger. And I was thinking – I'm not sure they did because a lot of you out there are like Andrew Vaughn's 1,500 plate appearances into his major league career. Well, he can get better or whatever. Jake was only about 500 plate appearances into his major league career, and he was showing signs of getting better. The power was increasing. Yeah, he didn't walk a lot, and he was striking out a lot, but he still has time to learn these things. So I don't I don't know. I was curious. Well, I, this is where this is where people and I, we, we have this debate, okay? Because I think Gavin Sheets in today's roster probably has one of the best raw powers when you look at him, the, just power numbers. The guy's just built, just the way that he's built, he's got power numbers. But he's got to make contact with the ball. Jake Berger has power, and he was making enough contact in a consistent basis where he has home runs. Andrew Vaughn, on the other hand, I think he's more of a Mark Grace type of player, which is not bad, but I right. don't think that he has the 40 home runs in him like Berger has. So when people are like, well, Jake Berger's not good defensively, I'm like, well, if you hit 40 home runs, I, I can give some defense away. Because I got a spot for you, yeah. <laughs> I'll figure it out, or even a future DH. So that's the part where I said there's no, there's nobody that has come up in the prospect list where I said, okay, that guy, like a Montgomery name, all oh, not even, and not even talking about guys that have played in the big leagues. He was the guy that said, in the future, if anything goes really bad and they're going to really rebuild, you give Jake the chance and maybe sell even higher on him because he's blown up. 
because that's a situation at second. There hasn't been anybody that's been called up that I'm like, oh, that guy's a future second baseman right. of this team, blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's why I thought with Jake Berger that it was a situation where I'm like, wait a minute, why are they trading this guy? Who do they have in the minor leagues? Why are they making this mistake? What are they planning on? And those are the things that I'm like, did Griffal get mad at uh, the White Sox? And here's, I'll give you another example. Pedro's, Pedro's a big believer of process, according to him and his staff. And the eye pitch was the process that they were going with. As much as I make fun of the eye pitch on social media, guys, I'm just pulling everyone's leg because I think it's funny. But there's guys that might really love the eye pitch machine, and that's awesome. And I always believe this. Even no matter what your manager believes, you have to have a plan, okay? Uh, if it's hitting behind the runners, if it's like, you know, we're going to, you know, this is our philosophy. And if Pedro Grifo right. believes in using the eye pitch, you probably want to have guys on your roster that are more, that are gravitating towards the eye pitch. Yeah, you might have guys like Pantera who are superstars that might kind of use it but not really buying into it. But you yeah, need they don't that. need it. Yeah, they don't need it. Like they're like, you know, they're not using the eye pitch. But then if you're taking away a guy that's literally using your process and is literally producing with your process, you're like, wait a minute. So why are you taking away guys that are buying into my mantra? It, it's like if they would have taken like Aaron Roy away from Ozzy's team going into 05. Good defense, play hard. It's like, wait a minute, everything that Ozzy's asking for is who this guy is. Oh, because he grounds out into double plays a lot or does, you know, there's, but he's what he wants in a play. Right. So that's where I don't get of like the building of the philosophy. They're so worried about a leader. And I don't know what the philosophy is at all. Like Ricky was like, Ricky's boys don't quit. And it was because they literally just figured it out. They, they were so tough. And, you know, they kind of like, even when they were losing, they always just stayed in the game. And, and every team's kind of has like an identity. This team does not have an identity yet. Even, even they even lost the identity of uh, the ones where they were changed the game. They don't even have that identity anymore. So right. I, I really think from you guys sitting out there and seeing every game, do you believe in that? Like they're still lacking that identity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you don't see them playing uh, the same kind of ball every day. You don't see the consistency in any of the performances every day. I mean, one, one thing I've liked that they've started to do a little bit more lately, and uh, unfortunately, Luis got hurt doing it, but is running, stealing bases more. Like, this team has a lot of, had a lot of speed on it. Go ahead and get out there and steal. But you're right. They don't have a specific identity. They don't play a certain way. Like, they, for a while, they're floating around uh, league average in home runs, but they're not really a home run hitting team. They don't really hit for average, you know. They don't walk. They don't play great defense, so they're not like the, you know, run prevention team or, or either. You know, they just, just don't sort of have their own thing at this point. And to answer your question, Junior, <laughs> to answer your question. If I interrupted, I'm sorry. Sorry, Justin, your audio there. But, uh, Junior, to answer your question, as far as when Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada's contracts expire after next season, you're likely going to see Ramos at third and Montgomery at shortstop. And then what, you'll probably see Jacob Gonzalez in 26 at second base. But those guys in Montgomery and Ramos, with the barrels that they have, they're more contact hitters than that raw power that you're wanting. So, if I mean, if I'm Han, I, I'm going to have to make a trade because – free agents wise, there's no bats in there that you're going to give a lot of money to. And from what it's looking like for free agency, your best, your best hitter and right field is probably going to be Tascar Hernandez. Okay. By the so, way, by 2006, we're, are we called my Twitter handle, Pi B, a rape of power. 
because I'll be part of the 108. That <laughs> you're saying your first baseman is Andrew Vaughn. Okay, I'm going to write this down. Andrew Vaughn. Yep. Who's your second baseman? For 26. 26. You, you're giving your uh, roster right now. You probably Gonz- Nick Gonzalez. Jacob, Jacob Gonzalez, yeah. Jacob Gonzalez, okay, is yeah, your yeah. second baseman. Okay, that's the kid that got drafted this year, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that, that's how good he is? Okay, two years is going to be good. So – he, no, the Wises have never never developed a guy in two years, but this kid Jacob Gonzalez, he was hitting oh, that's the middle. His, of the bat that's last his year. ETA. That's his ETA. Is twenty twenty six. Okay, okay. Um, he was hitting with a metal bat last year, but he's gonna go in the big. Okay, third baseman. Who's gonna be at third base? Uh, Ramos. Okay, Ryan, Ryan Ramos. You fucking wish. Brian Ramos. Okay, Brian Ramos. That's my, pl- that's my play cousin, actually. Brian Ramos this is my play cousin. Justin, have you seen the stats since he's gotten back from injury? So Brian Ramos, Montgomery, a short. Okay. Yeah. And your catcher. He was drafted last year. I, uh, correct. He was also hitting with a. He, by the way, he weighs like a buck fifty. I saw his arms. Uh, very concerned. He's got to hit the weight room. It's um, like one fifty six, OJ. Yeah. Trust me. I saw. I had never seen him because I've never seen him play. And I started asking around. I started asking for pictures of him. The body was a little, a little frail. Uh, so who's going to be the catcher? Corey Lee. So the catcher, you can, don't have to have one because it could be anybody. So then you got Pantera in center because he's signed till then. And then yeah. Ben Attendi is signed till like 2045. Yeah. On there. And then right field, you got Colas, I'm assuming. Which Correct. that's why I'm saying you need to really get a trade up. You got to get a trade. Why would nobody happy over the Oscar Colas at right field for the future? So, so your so your catcher is the power hitter. So you're going to resuscitate Buster Posey. <laughs> you said what? You're going to resuscitate He's going to be like he's in, he's the next coming of Jesus of Nazareth. You're going to bring him back. By the way, the only power. Are you talking? Are you talking Quero? Oh, you're, oh Quero's going to be on this team too. So you're going to be the That's only a tandem. Team. That's the likely tandem. Okay, you're going to be the only team in Major League history that is going to hit 9 for 9 on prospects. <laughs> yeah. That's how Okay, I just literally walked you through. So I'm making the list. So you're telling me that out of the guys they drafted, they're going to have the first This is this is a 30 for 30 by the way. Yeah. If this team this wins back later. A 30 for 30. Oh, by the way, if this <laughs> put team my fucking wins, glasses on. I can't see. I want Ozzy to be the manager. If he, this team wins, cuz this is going to be a great okay. story. This is like a 30 for 30. Like, if this team makes it, by the way, if this is a team and I had to be a betting man, I would not want anyone related to anyone. How many games could that lineup win, OJ? In where? In double A? No, in Rob Manfred's baseball. By the way, this team has not won 500 in minor leagues. There's no team above 500 in the minors or the White Sox. Where these guys play. Oh, my God. That like you can look that up. I'm just saying, like, so you. Well, I'm most of them are you? Most of them have only. By the way, if this is the lineup. For a week. At, uh, Birmingham. Every season ticket holder in the 108 should get a free season. <laughs> we're here. At, at we're least free concessions the entire year. We should get. I'm being serious. Everyone, yeah. everyone that sits to this team, I don't care how much they market. If this is a team going into 2026, and you don't think this is a rebuild, okay, you're done. I'm sorry. If you don't think that the lineup that you just gave me for 2026 is a rebuild with no one with big league experience, what the hell do you call that? I mean, Chris didn't even add in the, all the prospects we're going to trade for when they got to trade Pantera. You know? By the way, so here's the thing. That, <laughs> how, that's, what, that's the next one. You know, like, I'm going to make this better. So they trade for Salvador Perez, and he'll be the, the, the leader as a catcher for all the young guys. He'll be like 50 years old. He'll be he's like my age. 
that I'm literally, but this if this is a lineup in 2026, I will tell Brooks Boyer that everyone in the 108 section needs free concessions as amazing season ticket holders because they're the ones that are sitting there through this pain. If you're a season ticket holder right now, trust me, you you want to get free Azuki and pictures autographs, go up to him and say, Hey, I'm a season ticket holder. We feel for you. You're All right. By the way, I'm gonna hold you to that. If this is not a rebuild, Gonzo, what is? This is a rebuild. If this is the plan, if this is the plan you just gave me, this is a rebuild. I don't care what you call it. Yeah, it's not a it's not a retooling, which is what they were kind of getting at with trying to com- compete in 2024. Then this team could lose 100 games in the big leagues, guys. You talking about could? I mean, Will. that's that's our projected lineup. Sosa just who hit knows? Who knows what they're going to be league. like when they get here? Sosa, I'll give you this much: Sosa hit 18 home runs in the minor leagues right now. Can't hit the ball of the infield in the big leagues. Popeye got called up, didn't get played. Colas gets bunt is bunting guys to third base with runner on scoring position. He's a right field power hitter. He's bunting guys to third base, and That's I love weird. the bunt, but not with the guy who's supposed to be hitting bombs. In he, right he got it from the bench. He got it. He he, he just <laughs> obeying the sign. I'm just saying though, like that's the part where people get and, and beef can argue. Like I don't hate the bunt when like when Ozzy Guillen's bunting a guy over who's hitting ninth <laughs> and is a 270 lifetime hitter, and the pitcher's a lefty. I'm like I'm all so, about it. That's fine. Go for it. Yeah. When it's cold. This is concerning, by the way. I got one more topic here before we let go of Beef Loaf. Um, we have a resurgence of a guy by the name of Jesse Schultens. In the past month, he has been our best pitcher. He's pitched 24 innings, eight earned runs, seven walks, 22 strikeouts. I want us to take a look here, at least in this rotation going to 20, uh, 2024. Do you think this is a guy that's going to be in our bullpen, or do you think this is a guy that will be in the back end of the rotation? And we can get into this rotation, but I want to open the door for you, Beeflo, from what you've seen out of Jesse. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, kid? yeah. On the one away, we like him because he throws strikes. He's not he, he you know he doesn't walk a bunch of hitters. He's not he's nothing sensational, but he keeps the ball around the plate. He seems fine. Like uh, when you're looking ahead into a season where we have almost no starting pitching, you know where there you know where Cease has been highly inconsistent, but he's your he's your one uh, mainstay. You, uh, Kopech, a lot of people want Kopech to the bullpen. I think I'm still. Uh, Let's keep trying Kopech in the rotation uh, until we wear that out. But we got three empty spots right now. And so, yes, he, he sounds fine. Uh, fourth, five starter. He, he's been decent. He was decent in the bullpen even uh, when they were using him either as a piggyback after a, a, an opener or just in sort of multi-inning roles. So he seems okay. Like he seems like a reasonably decent fine there. So, yeah, I, I like him fine. Yeah, Sultan, Sultan's uh, going into 2024 is prime Rick Hahn territory right there. I don't have to pay him. All he has to do is fucking walk his ass to the mound every time it's his turn. Uh, especially now where uh, Beef you just alluded to, we got three empty spots. It's not like I'm I'm and for a what a 75 win team. Hopefully next year, I'm not going to be fucking online shopping for no starting pitcher. That's irresponsible spending right there. <laughs> I think we're at the point to where, uh, even though my boy just uh, blew the game today, Gregory Santos, uh, Jesse Schultz, Tuki Toussaint, those are prime 2024 White Sox pitching candidates going not only from 2024, but in the future. You don't think Rick Hahn finna squeeze this lemon until every fucking drop is gone? Hopefully he's the last drop that's gone. <laughs> this By the way, 
the resurrection of Greg Hibbard. Um, my concern with this guy is that he has uh, minor league four years in the minors in AAA. His ERA is a five point one. Okay, in two hundred and sixty. He reminds me a lot like Davis Martin last year. Okay, with well, the way he's pitching right now. Well, Davis Martin uh, should have competed for the fifth spot, but some guys got signed. I'm gonna go out with a limb yeah, in this. Yeah. Okay, guys that are in the bullpen, no matter what analytics tells you and their rotation and everything in the whole that world. Okay. Guys that are in the bullpens are guys that suck starting and they get put in the bullpen. Okay. Um, that's just the reality of it. Uh, I actually saw, I actually saw Schulten pitch about, uh, he pitched like one or two games in winter ball in Venezuela. Uh, actually did really, really good um, in those games. He was a starter reliever. I like him because he's being able to pitch at a reliever level in the big leagues. Okay. Number one thing, Beef just said it, and from that section, you see guys coming out of the bullpen, there's nothing worse and annoying than seeing a guy come walk, guys, okay? He is a guy that with good defense behind him, he, he will get the outs. I think that with his experience as a starter, I think that you t- bring him back, you let him compete for the fourth and fifth spot. I love competition. Let them compete it out. If he doesn't work out in one of the starting positions, make him a reliever. Why? 2024, guys, don't lie to us. Don't tell people at the 108 that you're going for it. <laughs> Shut up. Host White Sox Fest and say, hey, we're going to go in it all this year. We're going to build the culture, build the culture, build the culture, build the culture, and we're going to get more wins. And maybe with Jesse Schulten, you find a pitcher not only that could work as a starter, but a potential bullpen guy. That's why I wasn't against all those trades and guys are picking up in, in the waivers and whatnot that are high-ceiling guys because I really feel like the competition is really going to solidify the future of the White Sox. That being said, you cannot go into uh, 2023 season, uh, sorry, 2024 season with Jesse Schulten as your third starter and tell the people that you are competing for the division. That, again, people are not morons. And, again, you, you have sure? to say that. No, I'm just saying, though, you can't do that. Like, you can't literally say, just like, you know, Gonzo's lineup here, it's not a rebuild when we know that it is for 2026. So are you going to build in 2025? So you, as a front office, and, again, who are we? That's what they need to decide is, are we going to rebuild in 2024, 2024 and like try to be ready by 2026? Or are we going to try to chase 25, 24, 25, and then kind of rebuild it in 26? Because I've been, guys, I'm saying this because I've been on this road. One of the biggest issues with Ozzy and front office back in the day was Ozzy was ready to rebuild after 2007. He was ready to say, hey, let's rebuild. After 06, he was ready to do it. He was like, after 06, like, you know, rebuild. The new format didn't exist. He was like, let's refresh, rebrand. I'll be the man. Again, for him, it was job security. Three years of rebuilding. But no, they kept, they wanted to keep going. Jerry and, and, and Kenny, which is fine. You know, they're, they're his bosses. They wanted to keep going. And they always brought the great, you know, they always brought great players. You know, we, we in the Gian family, everyone celebrated Adam's signing, except Ozzy was concerned. We thought we had won the series and we're like, we're going to go to the playoffs. Adam Dunn's going to hit fucking 50 home runs and you know, it's going to be the end, but it didn't yeah. happen. But didn't he wanted happen. to blow it up because it's really hard to sustain success for that long. Here they need to decide and say, hey, when are we going to go for it? Okay, and is it in this window or is it in the next window? And that's something with guys like Jesse Schultz that you need to decide because if you are really going to go for it, then you go out and spend an excess of $200 million and really bring in guys that are going to fill in those holes so that future is ready. Or you go and say, you know what, let's go for the next two years and, and kind of compete and let the fans know. Uh, 
Because again, I think that the fans that are loyal, like the 108 guys, they're going to be there, man. They, they've been to the, yeah. they've been it, they're going to be there. So you kind of have to just double down and tell your, your fans and, and don't use words like windows and, and parades and, because we make fun of it when when the shit goes wrong we have a we have a koozie right now at our, our website wake me for the parade koozie but you know making fun of all that shit i mean because what else are we supposed to do right we're supposed we treat this with humor when things go wrong that's the way, our only choice if i can ask you a question though how yeah. how was how was so i have to give you credit because you've always very straight shooter always um in your writing you're the only blog okay from affiliated, non-affiliated, that went on a limb and started calling out Pedro. Not saying that he was bad, right? But calling out certain things. Questions. You had questions. Yeah. How did your fan base and the people take that? And how are you back saying, "Why well, was that wrong that I was calling out certain <laughs> things that I? How, how did how did that go? It was funny early on. You know, I, I have uh, you know. My, some of my people are like, yeah, that, this is good. You know, they like that. And, and a lot of White Sox fans are skeptical by nature to begin with. So a good chunk liked it. Most of the people that just kind of follow the wave of everything, uh, they didn't like it. They were calling me a hater of Pedro. You're like, you don't even know who this guy is. You're a hater. I'm like, I know. I'm trying to find out who the guy is or whatever. But like lately, the last month or so, I've been taking a victory lap. People have been pulling the blogs back out. It's like, oh, this was spot on. This is from November. And you, you know, you kind of nailed some of this stuff or whatever. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's just let's just be honest about stuff we see. I mean, that's, that's all we can be as fans and anyone who writes or, or puts stuff out there, just put your honest opinion out there. You're going to screw up. And I screw up plenty, uh, writing stuff and, and saying different things, but I, so far on, on Pedro, I still am not, uh, the questions lay out there and, I, and I'm waiting for him to kind of come through and answer them. We were going down in a dark period. I don't know if he's going to have another year to be able to answer them or not, but I'm interested to see if he can eventually do it. Yeah. I, 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 I loved it. Uh, not to cut you off, OJ, I was one of those people beef where I was like, no, it's a new manager, new blood. You know, I mean, he's not TLR, but fuck what can go wrong. And then two weeks later, I'm like, this is the worst fucking manager in franchise. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, when you're talking about new blood, it was, Start Kansas, over. It was Kansas City blood. New blood does not mean always. Bro, what are you? Now, now the thing is too, though, you know, someone could come out of a, an organization like an, oh, a, you know, and, and be great. And so I didn't want. I, I thought the same thing as, but I didn't want to hold that against him. I didn't want to say, okay, this is I in the back of my mind. They've been not good, and he's coming out of there. But I was like, give him a chance, and uh, you know, but yeah, just doesn't nothing. There, oh, there hasn't oh. been anything to hang my hat on. Like you brought up the one good point, and it's something we've talked about on the one hundred and eight podcast. My my colleague, my sex, has brought it up. Him taking uh, Luis aside that game and kind of like pushing him out of the lineup and whatever against Tampa. After that, it, it seemed to light a fire under Luis's ass. It got Luis more serious. And, and you know, Luis still uh, has some bad habits, but he's a superstar. You know, when, when he's clicking, he's he's an absolute stud. And so Pedro should get a little credit for that, in my opinion. Oh, no, he should get credit. He's the first manager that, that Pantera's played in more than 100, and, 100 games. 100. Okay. And, and I wish that he was more uh okay with him kind of calling him out um because no one's going to hate him for it um i feel like at times i don't know what he's protecting because at the end of the day i don't think they're going to protect him if he calls some of these players out and if it's going to i'm always like if it's you're the boss be the boss don't be scared of anything that's going to happen call guys out right uh, not after the fact but i really enjoyed the because everything that we were thinking and and my and my and my speculations are always and this is something that white Sox fans suffer all the time is that no matter what move they make, 
they go and say this is the greatest move ever made and don't look at the reasonings of it. Again, at this point, I think that Ozzy's interview, Espada's interview, Willie's interview, I think they're all BS. I think Pedro was the guy from all the information that we have entailed now and what we've known after the fact, he was the guy in July. Okay? That's what I think. But again, it doesn't mean that when you look at his resume, I actually think his resume to be a, a general manager is actually very, very good. And he's actually very, very prepared to be a general manager because that was his background. But when you ask guys around baseball, you're like, oh, this guy knows his stuff. So you're like, okay, this is interesting. This is going there. But then the way that everything was like set up, like the like the theatrics of it, I was very like, hmm, this is too because I also know the people too perfect. On, I'm also the people putting on the theater. <laughs> um, and yeah. I, the words that, that were used uh were very similar to things that we have heard in the past or that wanted to be shared in the past uh, with a great communicator like Pedro is. So I was very skeptical. But if I said it, it was like, oh, you're just being salty. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, when you wrote it, I'm like, he is bringing good points. Because when I heard the thing about him and Eloy, I'm like, he's asking for his phone. The Fleetwood Mac. The, the Was coming off as, is this the person that is supposed to be saying? At the end of the day, I think personality, either bad for better or worse, you need to be a genuine manager because your team reflects that. And it yep. takes that. Uh, even, with the, even with the TRL that at times we did not know what he was saying, he did win 90 games. So that's where I want of, like, what's the future? Like, if Pedro's going to be super analytical, be analytical, you know? But, but yeah. don't lie to us and be like, I'm analytical, but Berger was hitting eight. Or I'm analytical, so Hanser Alberto is breaking camp. With our right. team, it's like they got DFA'd a month later. I'm just saying though, it makes no sense. <laughs> right. By the way, the only reason that I was a Jake Berger fan is because I said Jake Berger's the only guy on that team that nothing's been handed to him because I feel like he's he's hated by somebody in that front office because he was he he's never been given a shot whatsoever from the beginning of time. Like he got hurt, came back. They didn't have position. I see in 2020 when they had the offsite. They invited everyone in their mom to the outside. They didn't invite him. Invite he was him. playing independent ball in yeah. Missouri. Yeah. And he it was like, what the hell? Like, yeah. everybody, yes. was, everybody was in Schaumburg Away. except this guy. No, I'm being serious, though. Yes. And, and, and you look at this and you're saying, wow, this guy's supposed to be a – by the way, Jake Berger got drafted. If, if you look at Jake Berger's story, you think he got drafted in, like, the 27th round of, like, your last pick where it's like you take family members and friends. Right. He wasn't. He was drafted. He's a top prospect. Yeah, he was eleventh overall pick. Eleventh <laughs> overall pick. So he's a, he was a genuine, legit baseball player when he was coming off. Yes, he suffered some injuries. Again, when you're looking at him, he's not very pleasant to look in the in the in a uniform because he's not a sexy player. But when you look at him running, he has plus speed. Okay, he especially works. when he's jogging around the bases. I'm I'm saying, though, he's, <laughs> even that. Here's a part though, beef, which I love this about him. He's a guy that if he was the type of player that he needed to improve at third base, he would be on the field every day taking 100 ground balls every day. No problem. No questions asked. That type of work ethic, I believe, that was needed. And I I think that you guys saw that as fans that get to watch it every day compared to other White Sox players that you guys get to see every day that don't don't seem to have that that ethic. My last question to be before he goes is, Will Tim Anderson return and be the starting shortstop of the Chicago White Sox in 2024? I mean, my guess is that they pick up the option, but then that they trade him in the offseason. That, that would be kind of where I think they'll end up going with it. Um, you know, it, it, it's a little bittersweet because we kind of started 108 and the blog and everything right around the same time Tim Anderson was coming up. So we've probably written more 
blogs about him in particular. And we've all been big fans all these years. And so it kind of stinks that he's having a downer year and then the team is having a downer year at the same time. But if I were if I were prognosticating, I would say they pick up the option and trade him as a continuation of the things that they just did at the August 1st deadline. Do you think this would be too toxic? Tim Anderson comes back, bounces back, maybe not to the 15 home runs, but he comes back and bounces back to a solid player that he once was, meaning he's still playing decent right now. Montgomery comes up, he's a stud. You move T.A. to short, or you have Montgomery play second and T.A. short for the future. I mean, I I thought about that, actually. I thought about, like, could you extend T.A. right now? If you think – my concerns with him have all been, like, is he physically still going to be okay to do the things he's been doing, right? Because, like, his game – requires a lot of athleticism because he, he he's a hit guy hits the ball the other way uses speed a lot on defense everything uh Treasy and i talked about that what, what about this when we were drunk a few times we we're like what about extend him move him to second you have no one to play second base you know and you as these guys come up you let montgomery have short you let him oh sorry you let him move to second and you see if the bat continues to play like he's having a down year but the guy won a batting title very recently. Like, uh, you know, it's not it's not beyond the realm of possibility that it could bounce back. I, I, I believe that he still has that bat. My whole thing is, again, going to Pedro Griffal. Has Pedro ever sat down with T and said, what's wrong? Okay, is it your legs? Is it you just having it? Again, every great player has a down year. Yep. Okay, so this could be his down year. You cannot – I would never vote against a guy that has actually won a batting title. And when you see him up at the hitting uh, – and, again, he did this hitting first, so – can Pedro be the guy that convinces TA to say, hey, maybe you in a different lineup, you might hit, you know, fifth or sixth. You can drive in more runs. So I I, I agree with you on that one that I, I still have I still have not given up on TA. No one's been called up that I've seen that said this guy's gonna take TA's job. Right, not yet. Nothing nothing's happened yet. I, I would agree with you. <laughs> I went off the picture and I said, that guy's not taking TA's job. Not today's job. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Fluff, real quick before we wrap this up, um, you give us a little shout out and highlight of your platforms and where we can find you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, on Twitter, it's at from the 108, and I'm at uh, Mr. Delicious 13. Don't ask why it's that. And then uh, it's, it's, it's from the108.com is the website. So blogs, podcasts, everything runs through there. We have a little merch store, so you can buy some. Uh, you can't buy this one, but we have Wave Sucks, Scarves, hashtag 108ing, all that stuff. Our YouTube channel is uh, YouTube backslash from the 108. We generally uh, stream the 108 podcast on Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time, and that's that's generally the time always. I do a side podcast most Monday nights at 6 p.m. called The Ajou, which is interview style. So I've had uh, people on there like Chris Tannehill or, or Shane Reardon just interviewing some people about uh, doing content, some people uh, on to talk about the White Sox. And then lastly, on home Sundays before the game, we do something called the, called the Sunday Soak, which is a live stream from my hot tub. So we answer questions from the fans, and we sit in the hot tub and drink. So, uh, But, guys, thanks so much for having me on. This is a great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate discussing this. And I was glad to f- get those thoughts out about Pedro because we haven't, although we blogged about it and we've talked about it a little bit, I haven't been able to get as in-depth as we were able to get tonight, which was was great. Great discussion. Well, you should come over to the Gian family. It would definitely be uh, you You get to uh, break the pick the brain of, of, of a manager. Again, I love – I think you've written the honest blog from there. And – it's funny because now when we go to the stadium for the last couple of years, I look up and see what the 108 is up to because well, I'm just saying though, it's easy being a loyal fan and being that big of a group when your team is doing awesome. But I, you know, I feel that if anyone has been let down by Rick, 
and I'm going to say his name as a GM has been the 108. Yeah. Because, and then he goes and calls you guys a cesspool. And when it's, <laughs> I'm literally saying, because again, the 108 is kind of like the, kind of like the foundation because of how big the group is of like White Sox Twitter. And then we all kind of like fill in like the rest of it. And again, we're all in the cesspool because I'm a, I'm a, I've been a part of the cesspool for quite some time now. Right. Um, but it was just very interesting. So thank you for everything that you guys do and a big fan. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, B, for uh, giving us your time. You're so gracious tonight, and we'll have you on again here shortly. I would love um, it. Beef, we appreciate you. Take care, boys. All right, Jen. That's a beef loaf on, huh? This is yeah. that time of the night. I'm this a rape of time power. I'm gonna, my name. I'm gonna change my name to something with food, like a rape of power, something that is run. Like mango. Not burger, power. not burger related. A burger, dude. Burger. They just got a burger. El gorito. Way, dude. Burger. White Sox are taking so many L's. Okay. White Sox are taking yes. so many L's. Even in the marketing world, they're taking the L's. The Marlins just got a sponsorship from Burger oh. King. And there's like a battle between like other burger companies, but Burger King is allegedly gonna win it. They're going to become a Marlin sponsor. Yeah, we, that's nothing um, shocking there. White Sox taking L's. Wait, wait, but it's the Marlins. I know. It's, hey. it's not. Uh, trust me, you know that I know the Marlins well. They're the Marlins. Like, like they're, they usually don't get stuff right. Hey, they're in they the don't division do that. Race. And they're winning. Like, legitly winning. <laughs> they're, like, getting a sponsor out of this. Not only did they get a guy they have control for five years, but he's actually bringing them money. He's probably going to bring them back his contract. Period. He's probably going to get paid. His contract's probably going to get paid with his own sponsorship of Burger King. And you know what's tripped out is if I'm the Marlins with Jake Berger being my third, my starting third baseman or what have you, I don't have to block any of my minor league talent. It's not like Jake Berger is stopping my top prospect from playing fucking third base in the future. I could use Jake Berger to bridge me until the next time I got to take a swing on a blue chip. Yep. That shit's sick. If you if you think, let's just dive into that trade for a second. Okay, uh, the White Sox got a nice young pitcher that may or may not pan out in the future. I mean, he has to pan out at least for five years, the years of control that Jim Berger has. <laughs> yep. So he has to pan out. Look at what the Marlins got in Jake Berger. They got everything they were looking for. OPS, the position, and now, uh, to OJ's point, a prime marketing tool. This is a team that has Sandy Alcantara, uh, Sisto Sanchez. They got Yuri Perez, uh, Edward Cabrera, Jazz Chisholm. I mean, they got guys that can market. And the big fish is actually a big burger. This <laughs> this fucking deadline for the Marlins, that was amazing. And I'm actually sick and tired of the White Sox. I just want to put that out there. And they can flip them next year in, in the trade market. Let's say that they, uh, there's a team that's looking for a big bat for a corner guy. Yeah, um, you know they're looking for a first baseman that you need to convert or a guy that can play the corners. Jake can be moved, and we know the Marlins to do that. So he's going to be a very interesting guy because of the years of control that he has. If he keeps producing at this level, where the Marlins can say, "Okay, we might make him a, a prime position player at, at the DH position, for example, let's say down the road or first base, or kind of like," or they can say, "Hey, what team needs a guy like Jake Berger, Detroit Tigers?" Because Torkerson is not kind of panning out and you need a fix me right now guy. Or they don't he, have a third baseman in Detroit right, right. now. So, so, so you can literally use Jake Berger can become that piece where he goes to different teams and kind of becomes like this mercenary for teams that are trying to bridge that gap for their next big player because he has years of a control and now big league experience. So that's, I, I think 
I've been this is probably the, the trade that I've been the most upset about uh since maybe Freddie Garcia got traded back in the back in the 2000s uh during after the post world series just because I was a big fan of him yeah and I'm really curious on what Milwaukee the deals or the talks I should say that was going on with Milwaukee for Eloy like before the Sox had to pivot from Eloy to Berger I really want to know what those conversations were because me solely I would have been more so focused on trading Eloy than Berger at this deadline um especially with Berger proving himself this offseason with the control on him um I just feel like that is one of the trades at this deadline that I felt like things were going perfect up until that point as far as getting deals done for expiring contracts and value for prospects. Um, but I guess you can't have a great deadline when it comes to Han. Um, but nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, we are going on to a Southside Daily. boys we got a weekend series starting friday through sunday out in denver colorado um on the mound friday is going to be michael kopech versus lambert saturday the guy we're just talking about schultons is going to go up against kyle freeland the lefty and then sunday our boy dylan cease is going up against flexen um guy to watch out for in colorado right now um is uh mcmahon betting 252, 20 home runs, 62 ribbies. Um, guys, this is going to be the tank, the tankathon for uh, the first pick with uh, Colorado here in Denver. Um, Jay, I know you just joined us. Uh, what's your feeling out here with Colorado on the road? What you're looking for in this series? Uh, what I'm looking for in this series is our rotation to eat innings. Like one specifically, Michael Kopech. Uh you just alluded to the fact that Colorado is a shit show. I mean, don't get me wrong. They don't have nearly as much baggage as the Chicago White Sox. But that's a team that's going to have trouble winning ball games uh, against anybody, not just the White Sox. Now, you, you fast forward into the matchup that we have with them coming up. And it's not just fucking uh, Ryan McMahon. You still got uh, fucking Brenton Doyle, a no-name, a creative player that's fucking playing out of his mind. You got... Nolan Jones, old Cleveland farmhand, who's basically hitting the ball over the fucking high bullpen in right center. So there's going to be opportunities for Michael Kopech to get hurt. Let's just be honest. Like, this is not a slap dick team we're playing against. Even their fucking rookie shortstop, Ezekiel Kobar, is going to be probably on pace for 17 to 20 home run. So this is not a lineup to where you can play down to your competition, especially at the altitude. You could get fucking sweat playing around with uh with um playing around with the fucking uh the Rockies. So I'm actually scared, uh Gonzo, to be honest with you. Because this is supposed to be a series just like the fucking Cubs series where we were supposed to kick ass and take names. Like we own the Cubs at Wrigley and we still found a way to shit the bed. Shit it was the like game eight, eight, eight wins away that you had so here's the thing. So there's uh don't do this to me. 
who's gonna be the, who's gonna be the first team to fifty? Uh, you got forty six and 50, 75 from uh, the Rockies and forty eight and seventy three from the Chicago White Sox. So here's a here's a situation to build good momentum by the White Sox. They should go in here and sweep with with Kopech. Should. Um, Showed at least two out of three, but they, they should have an opportunity to sweep and bounce back and, and not pitch, you know, four innings. I think showcase bounce back for Kopech, Schulten, and Cease to at least consume six innings plus. So from what I'm looking for is six innings plus from all the three starters, okay, uh, and be able to bet the under on those games because the bet's going to be high and make some money. But if the pitching staff does not do their job, the games are going to be over and I could see Colorado coming in and surprising and, and winning the series on them. So the White Sox need to take it serious and, and try to get to that 50th victory. Uh, these, these are the games that are going to keep you away from losing 100 games. Um, mm-hmm. if you drop against Colorado and you don't build that momentum, your, your September is just going to even look even more gruesome. OJ, this is what I like about baseball, because even when you're in the shit show like the White Sox, there are still areas of your season to where you got to have these games. Like you just said. These are the series that stop me from losing 100 games. So what you got to do, you got to still be a professional baseball team. Put your pants on, win two out of three. Go ahead, take your ass mile high, and whoop some ass. No, and by, the way, by the way, and they're, and they're showcasing themselves. Schulte's showcasing himself for the future. Kopech is show, showcasing uh, himself to to be a starter and, and not and cut this conversation of, of going to uh, go play uh, the outfield. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's the types of situation when you're looking at that, um, that you got to keep that in mind and say, Hey, I'm playing for the future. I'm playing for my next contract. I'm playing for my next team and get W's. And, and from, and from Pedro Grafal's standpoint is man, get, get those W's. You know, I, I, you don't want your legacy when your grandkids look you up and, and your, your miracle record. And it's just like you know, it's so bad that you don't want to pull up your baseball reference. Your grandpa sucks. Uh, yeah, you're like your grandpa sucks as a manager. You don't want to have that, you know, the managerial record of of uh, just be that bad. That's, you don't want that, especially with seasons where, you know, that you're supposed to win. So, again, he, I think he's managing for his job, and there's going to be a time when they're going to be looking at it, and these series are that big of a deal. Dropping this Rocky series don't hurt don't help Pedro's Grafal's case. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, I see us going 30 games under 500 out in Colorado. We've just struggled <laughs> in recent years out in Colorado, and I don't think it's going to get any better. Um, and they I ain't just, got Todd Hilton in the long thing I'm hoping. Garrett Atkins, no fucking Matt Holiday. That's some faith, <laughs> Gonzalez. When was the last time they were in Colorado? Uh, what was this, last? No, two years ago. Yeah, I was going to say 21. I was on my la- my old platform. Or what so, Colin Cowherd say, the other place. <laughs> the other place. Um, only thing I'm looking for is uh, Dylan C is going seven. I want to see another strong start out of my boy Dylan. Um, and it's a tough, it's a tough place to pitch out there with the high altitude. So we'll see if he can do it. Um, but the boys uh, come back. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. Uh, speaking of our boy Dylan Cease, now this is an opportunity for him to lower, you know, have a low whip game. Colorado isn't an on-base merchant. They got to swing their way on. So if Dylan Cease is efficient, getting quick outs early in the count, he could find he could fuck around and find himself probably six through six innings with only an eighty-five pitch pitch count. That's a win if I'm Pedro Grafal, and more importantly, the White Sox bullpen. 
because you know goddamn well the Rockies gonna put up some some runs. It's just where how much leverage you're gonna have in that situation. Are you gonna be on top or are you gonna be chased? Dylan Cease to keep the yeah. White Sox on top. I, I'm just I don't know. I'm, I feel indifferent just knowing. I'm sure Dylan's fastball will be fine. It's just that slider in Denver. I'm not. I don't think it's gonna be breaking as much. I'd, if I was him, I'd be throwing more knuckle curve when I'm on the road there in Denver. But I mean, I would rather uh, hang a slider than roll the curveball up there at the Rockies too, because that knuckle curve if it's, it's gonna flat, look the same. So. It's gonna look the same there. <laughs> it's gonna be hanging off speed, and they're just gonna take it. Gonna but anyways, um, the boys come home back at to the right to play Seattle Monday. Tucson versus Luis Castillo. That's a rough one. And then um, Tuesday, so. Tuesday is going to be Clevenger versus Kirby, which is – I'm going to like that matchup just because Kirby's been dishing it lately out there for Seattle's rotation. He has the best He has the best whip whip right now for those starters. And, and, and Clevenger's been really strong too for us. So it's going to be a good matchup on Tuesday. And then their best hitter productive-wise is Suarez. Not really batting too well at 233, but he's got 17 bombs, 75 ribbies. Um, but, but he strikes out a lot, too. He does. Uh, J- Justin, give us a little dip on Seattle. Well, um, I'm not really worried about the Luis Castillo matchup. I think that's the best opportunity for the White Sox to win a game throughout the whole series. Uh, if you look at what he's done, don't, uh, everybody knows he's a spectacular pitcher, but he gives up a lot of hard contact and bursts of innings. So the White Sox can put together a four-run frame on Luis Castillo. George Kirby, now you have to be careful because he is not a strikeout guy. He is a whip guy. So he gets you out in a plethora of different ways. Like, if I'm building a young pitcher right now, I don't want the Spencer Striders. I don't want the the Steven Strasburgs no more. Give me the Brian Bales. Give me the George Kirby. George Kirby could fuck around and throw a 90-pitch complete game against the Sox that second game. So that's that's the one that scares me, Gonzo. Thank God we got the ace going. Uh, Clevenger, did, did he looked really good tonight against the Scrubs. Like, the fastball was electric. This was the best mm-hmm. fastball he's had. I mean, I'm, velocity-wise in his career. Yeah, and real quick. He watched, and he was really good. So he's going to be good against Kirby. Real quick with Clevenger, that's a guy also pitching for a contract because he he only has a mutual contract with us, which both sides are going to decline it, and he's going to go to the free agent market and get more money than the $12 million that he was going to earn next season with us. Um, what you got, J- uh, Junior? You're looking really spicy, like you're going to bet the over on, on these strikeouts uh, coming up. I am. I'm going to bet the over on the strikeouts, yeah. and I'm also going to uh... – the Seattle series is going to be interesting for the overall strikeouts on the unders. I think that uh, the White Sox pitching is going to be dictated like what happens in Cle- in, uh, in Colorado. I feel like if they if, I, if they get their balls kicked in in Colorado, that's going to be a, just a sweep in Seattle from the Mariners. Um, and again, Pedro Grifo is right now looking to savor himself from having one of the worst seasons ever as a White Sox manager for a first-year manager. From That's what I was looking up um, historically on like what the stats look like. Because um, they're not looking too great right now for him, uh, looking at White Sox managers' records and what they've done before. Um, so it's quite interesting. So actually, um, this series, I think, is one of the series that helps him not finish uh, with 100 losses. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Billy Sullivan, I'm looking right now for managers with a one-year, uh, a one-season 
I don't think he's going to be as bad as Jack Onslow in 1949, but he was flirting to be with one-year managers in only one season, flirting with with uh, with you know 100 losses. He would be the second to worst with that number after Jack Onslow between him and Red Corden, who went 52 and 72. So he's uh, he's flirting with history right now. This shit is sick. That's sick. And with that being said, we're going to go to our weekly of picks. folks we got a tie for last place because justin won last week with one of junior's favorites he chose johan mancada and mancada <laughs> had himself a good four game stretch last week um the update on the standings is going to be me with seven slav with five junior and justin are tied at three it's over Mancata is off the table. My my uh, my pup Apple is very upset about that. Mancata um, is off the table. Junior has to fight to get out of third place with Justin. It is Jay's top pick of the week. Justin, you are on the board. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I told you. I told you people I was going on the run with my last victory, and now look at what look at what happened. I'm leapfrogging in the standings. Like this is this. Y'all, you guys were supposed to turn me into an expansion team. Now, I'm looking like a wild card team. Let's go. Before, before you pick, it's going to be Jay, me, Slav, Junior. Sorry, Junior, you weren't able to make a pick last week. I picked Colas because I thought he would actually. He was starting to heat up, and that kind of bottomed out. And I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Jay. Yeah, like, so Moncada's off the table, so I can't pick the best player on the team. You're going up to Colorado. This guy needs a little bit of help in the OPS department. OPS, Opie. You're going to have to give me Opie. <laughs> You're giving me Ooh. Opie. Jay's picking Opie. Who's that? Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn. Okay. I'm going to go Robert Jr. because why not, since he's on the board. Wow. Slav is going Tim Anderson from what I've got on my text messages. I think Robert has been a pick to click 90% of the season. (laughs) Oh, definitely in the last month he's been. If he's there, I'm taking him. Um, that leaves it to you, OJ. OJ, uh, what you got? with a 263 hitter on the road. Um, Ooh, look at you with the analytics. Yeah, 33 runs. Probably the most balanced is OBP 327, 351 slugging. I'm probably going to go deep in that tiny field. He's also uh, struggling in the month of August, which I think he's going to pick it up. The last seven days have been horrendous 136, the last 30 days, 194. But it's time for himself to get picked up. Andrew Benatendi, little Benny. We're going to go with Andrew Benatendi. It's you know, time for himself to get picked up. <laughs> he's been one of the best 
players, one of the best hitters for the past month. So I like that selection by you, Junior. I, I think you're going to give Jay a run for his money. <laughs> um, and our picks are as follows. Jay, you're going with Opie, Andrew Vaughn. I'm going with Luis Robert Jr. Slav is going with Tim Anderson. And Junior made a solid pick at number four with uh, Ben Attendee. So I'm going to go on a limb and say this. So if Andrew Vaughn does not hit a home run, does that mean that he loses a point? Oh, no, no, you can't just come on. man. What type of, <laughs> no, now, now that we're tied in the standards, we got to do Manfred's rules. Stop playing, man. No, no, I'm just, Hey, I was just, just asking questions. You know, like you have Pantera, you know, and you have this guy and you have power hitters. They don't hit a home run the whole week. You just might as well just say you lost. You lose a point. Hey, Vaughn's been hot the last two weeks. He uh, He's starting to turn it a little bit. I hope he does take off, though. I hope he does. Oh, by way. A bomb. By the way. Colorado. By the way. You know what? We know why you want Andrew to take it, take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Speed, brother. He gets closer to 20 home runs. I'm I'm a lot happier. <laughs> Trust me. Right now. He he's still like doing he better than Abreu, so I'm looking good right now. His war is almost his war is almost to one. Come on, man! Why you gotta hey, do that? Hey, at least it's positive. It was Why negative. Why you wait to use my pick to click to say his war is almost to one? <laughs> hey, hey, hey low-key Gonzo, take it back. I want Remillard. No, I'm not giving you no more picks. Wow. All right, folks, that's our picks of the week, and now it's shout-outs. Um, I'll lead it off. Um, shout out the one and only Soraya, as always being my support behind me um i'm also going to give beef loaf shout out to beef he just was in the chat here um shout out to you beef you gave us an hour of your time you're so gracious and we appreciate you for your uh, first appearance on the blackout and um i was actually really excited to have someone from the 108 come join us because it's nice to have uh some white Sox twitter the cesspool join us um and I, I'm also going to, you know, shout out some of these other listeners of ours that jumped in the chat. Um, I've never seen Terry Peps before, but you, you were uh, solid tonight in the chat here with comments. Um, Jack Carey, I see you also here. Thanks for joining us, Jack. Um, I saw even eight. Junior. Did you have to throw up that Moncada's comment right there? You could have just said Jack. Shout out to Jack. You didn't have to throw up fucking Moncada's OPS. He wanted me to pick Jack. <laughs> now what? Tony jumped in the chat <gasps> too. Too Jay, look at Tony. Um, boom, boom. And that's that's gonna be my shout outs for these listeners um, on today's show. They came in hot. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna shout out. Hey, anybody out shot. there, if you stole Dylan Caesar's girlfriend's car, bring it back. Yes. It's not a fake story. It's been confirmed. Her car got stolen at the stadium today at the ballpark in Wrigley. Probably get it taken right now for a joyride. So hopefully she finds her car. Uh, but it was jacked. So uh, keep an eye out for it. Um, I, I, you know what? I'm excited. I, I love the 108 guys. I've had a chance to meet them, uh, especially Beef. And uh, was I? Is that weird? That I was more excited asking him questions than than, than you. Hey, you was fucking fanned out today. You I was. I was fanned out. I was. I was more excited than interviewing former players. 
because of his article. I was excited about getting to talk to him about the Griffo article because the same things that I was thinking, he was expressing in a really well-written form. And he was mm-hmm. not getting the, oh, you're saying that because you're, you want a sperm race uh, comments. Usually when, when I make a baseball comment, people say, oh, you only say that because you want a sperm race from a World Series manager, Ozzyian. But he was expressing the same thing that I was expressing. So I, I was excited that I was able to ask him the questions that I wanted to uh, about that. And that fact that I got to bring up the cesspool because I literally think that he was talking about the 108 because they run Twitter. And Fantasy yeah. Football League, I am I will be the worst general manager on there. So please join mm-hmm. the Fantasy League. If you ever wanted to put a whooping on a Gian, this is your chance. Yes, this is your chance. Because I don't and I, I watch football, but I don't, I'm not a good football GM. Before Jay does his shout outs, this I'm gonna highlight we are gonna be doing a fantasy football league this fall. And it's gonna be our beginning of leagues for fantasy. We're probably gonna do one next year for baseball, but um oh, definitely that, one gonna... you, that one you will not win. um yeah i think me and jay are gonna beat up on junior but um we're gonna have some good trash talk with fantasy football um but definitely send us an email if you want to join in our league we got some spots available um send the email to ogblackoutshow at gmail.com and uh i'll be adding you to the league um jay good names by the way people bring good fantasy football names yes we already have some good names going already. Jay, you better join in our league. Otherwise, I'm not going to allow you to be in our baseball league next year. Not breaking news. Uh, Jay Targaryen is sliding to the OG Blackout Fantasy Football. He is bringing Army Targaryen to the league. Your ass is Grass Gonzalez. Uh, as far as shout-outs, got to give B-Flow for shout-out. He came on 108 OG, uh, Cesspool OG. Uh, shout-out to Chodisi, My Sox, Summer to Go. Uh, love those guys. Um, King Mac, OG, he's been beating people last in fantasy baseball. It's been beautiful. Uh, hopefully he can ride the wave onto a championship, but nine times out of ten, not because I got to win that same championship. So uh, shout out to the whole of BGR. We've been doing the uh, Mount Rushmore of every position. And so that's been a fun little series to go through, get to argue and see where people's baseball values are. And uh, more importantly, got to give a shout out to Asia because uh, probably about two weeks ago, I was taking her to work and we were talking about my fantasy baseball team and I needed a second baseman and I had to choose between player X and Brandon Lau and Asia told me to pick Brandon Lau and now I am absolutely beating the dog shit out of Dan Goodwin from the Three Kings podcast. So send help, send resources to Dan. He needs some help. Um, thank you, Asia, for telling me to pick up Brandon Lau. And last but not least, I got to give a shout out to my immediate family, the Ortiz family. I went to go see him at a cookout Sunday. It was good to recollect with Madre, McLovin, uh, Jeremy, Jesus, you know, all of you guys. I love you. It was good seeing you. Um, so proud of you guys. And it's an honor to put on for the South Side and you guys every time I get on the fucking mic. So I love you guys. Shout out to the OG Blackout once again. Uh, Chicago White Sox, you make me sick. All right. Any last comments, guys? Well, let's go get it. Yes. To 30 games below 500, we go. From Gonzo, from Jay, from OJ, 
Thank you for listening to the Blackout and especially Beefloaf joining us. Thank you, Chicago. Thank you for listening. Beep, beep.